0: We're living in a time when it seems that everybody is at each other's throat. Now, that's an exaggeration, and some of it comes from the media and for ratings. In reality, though, there may be about 10 to 20% of people at each of the extremes, and they're constantly vilifying the other's, You are wrong. And neither side has any desire to forgive the other side in order to gain reconciliation. So the result is the majority of people who are in the middle are feeling unsettled, almost to the point of being incapacitated. And of course, those who would rather fight than forgive, they just become unproductive. And and this is nothing new, but it's the reality of the human race that everybody suffers and has a lower standard of living than they would have, if we could all just learn to reconcile and forgive each other. So just by general reasoning, we can understand this truth. No one can afford unforgiveness. Now, in our passage today, Jesus teaches both from the day-to-day challenges of living as part of God's community, God's family, and also by way of a parable, the high cost of unforgiveness. Now, the desired end, what God wants, is always forgiveness and reconciliation, and he says that someone who cannot forgive must be put out of the community. And further, in response to a question, he sets a very high standard for the extent of forgiveness that he requires, namely 70 times what people think is a very high standard to begin with. And then lastly, he shows that the great king of creation will give unlimited forgiveness based on his compassion for anyone who will humbly beg for it, But the other side of the coin is that he will be harsh to those having been forgiven much that are unwilling to forgive even a trivial debt of a fellow servant of God. So let us now approach God's teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation with humility. So taking our text this morning, there's two halves. We're going to focus first on the reality half, and then on what we can dig out of this parable, which has some hidden truths in it. So first, Jesus teaches on sin among God's people binding and loosing, and forgiveness. So we'll look at each of these three points in the first half. He starts with a four-step process concerning sin among God's people. So let's look at it line by line, word by word. If thy brother sin against thee, thou must go and tell him alone. And if he may hear, thou have won over thy brother. Okay, just here's the reality of life on this earth, even for the people of God. In the community of God's family, brothers sin against each other from time to time. So the first step that Jesus gives is when this happens, is that the individual goes to his brother alone. He says, go to your brother, one-on-one, just the two of you. And if he hears you and agrees and is reconciled to you, this is gain for both of you. So this is a win-win. This is what God wants. But secondly, Jesus goes on. But if he will not hear then thou must take with thee at one or two, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every single word may be established. So, if he refuses, this is like a flowchart you know for a programmer or, or for how to get a task done. So the second step is if he refuses to be reconciled to you that 's the other side of the coin. Bring along witnesses who will confirm his sinful refusal to repent and be reconciled. Thirdly, and if he may refuse to hear them. Thou must tell the ecclesia. Well, what is the ecclesia? Before, before the cross and before Pentecost, it was the synagogue. You see, this word basically just means an assembly, a community of God's people. But by the time Matthew got around to writing his gospel, And it's probably rightly translated church. God's community had shifted from the synagogue to the church. So if he will not listen to just a few, tell your whole community, the people of God. And fourthly, if he also refuses to hear the assembly, he must be to thee as a non-Jew or unbeliever or a tax collector. So after rejecting every level of reconciliation, a sinner must be treated as an unbeliever or a person exploiting his own people for selfish greed. Remember, most of these tax collectors were Jews from the tribe of Judah. Now in the middle, Jesus talks about binding and loosing by God's people who ask together in his presence. So Jesus continues, truly, I say to all of you, as much as you all shall bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And as much as you all shall loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Now, binding and loosing, this has to do with reconciliation. When God's family works to loose a brother from sin in order to be forgiven by God, he then can be restored both to God and God's family. But when he insists on staying in bondage to sin, Jesus said he will be bound over to Satan. In other words, to be put out of the community, the assembly of God's people. And then he says, truly again, I am saying to you all that if two of you all may agree on earth concerning any matter which they may ask, it will be done to them by my Father in the heavens. Now this agreement, let's remember the context here. This agreement in asking God is in the context of reconciliation among God's people. And then Jesus says, for where they are being, two or three of them, having been gathered together in my name, there I am being in the midst of them. Now, this presence of God, let us remember when he is with his gathered people, God with us, us with God, this is the very heart of the covenant. God's first statement about the covenant is, I will be your God, and you all shall be my people. This is the greatest blessing, and it is also the fruit of forgiveness and reconciliation. So whenever we go to do anything together, especially prayer, let us be sure we have forgiven one another and we are reconciled with one another. And then thirdly, again, practical everyday living, Jesus tells Peter to forgive a brother who sins against him up to round number 500 times. Peter, having come to him, said, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That many, he's thinking. See, seven is God's number of completion, so he's just assuming what could be a higher limit than the number of perfection or completion. But Jesus is saying to him, I'm not saying unto you until seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times that. Jesus raises the standard of forgiveness by a factor of 70. Literally, if we could count that high, that would be 490 times of forgiving. But that's not really what he's saying. Figuratively, he's saying forgiveness of a brother who repents and comes to you should be unlimited. Unlimited as far as it goes. Now, secondly, Jesus tells a parable about a compassionate king who forgave his servant a myriad of debt. Now, myriad is an English word, but it's also the Greek word for 10,000. So it starts out, Jesus always begins his parable, something along these lines. The kingdom of heaven resembles a king who forgave a myriad debt. So he's done all this practical teaching. Now he wants to take it up a higher level and drive everything home. The kingdom of heaven resembles a king who desires to settle matters with his servants. So on a human level, this parable is about a man who is a king, and he's settling up with his servants But let us not forget, at a deeper level, it is about God and his people. And having begun to settle one who was brought to him, a debtor of 10,000 talents. Now, I looked this up for uh, probably the 10th time. And this time, I said, let's throw away things from our current world. That's not what was originally written or meant, okay? So we don't even know if these are talents of gold or silver, so let's not put a dollar figure on it. What's really important is what's the conversion between denarii and a talent? In other words, the average worker was paid one denarius a day. So I looked it up, a talent is 6 Thousand denarii. Okay. Now, um, I saw uh, in D.A. Carson's commentary. Um, again, we're putting our time back then, but let's say they work 300 days a year. They actually work more, but a six-day work week with two days of vacation, it makes the math easier Okay, to divide 6,000 by 300. So how big is this debt when you multiply it all out? He owed 200,000 years of a daily pay. 200,000 years of a debt. Let's go to the max. Let's just say a lifetime is a 100 years. That means he owed 2,000 years of wages. I mean, this is staggering, staggering. We can't even imagine it, but that's what Jesus is saying here. And we're told, he not having to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children. Basically, this is a lose-lose option. So this servant and his whole family will be sold into separate slavery at a much lower return to this king than what the debt was. Um, It's nothing compared to this incredible, outstanding debt. So having fallen down, the servant was giving him homage. I think that's a better translation. In saying, thou must have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, think about it. That's laughable, right? We just said how staggering this debt is. But having been moved with compassion, the servant's Lord loosed him, loosed him, and forgave the debt. So Jesus is now building on what he had taught before he gave this parable. But let's take it step by step. The only action that this pathetic servant had opened to him was to beg for more time with all that was in him, And then we're told an amazing thing. This human uh, master, this human king, he was moved, having been moved with compassion for his deflated servant. He could see this man was just a shadow of a man, fractured, broken before him. And the very word that Jesus used for God's people loosing their brothers of sin when they've been sinned against, this Lord loosed his servant and forgave him everything. Now, let's not miss the spiritual truth here. This is everything. We have to get it. The spiritual truth behind this action of a human king is that God is willing to forgive sinners through the sacrificial death of his son, which we will partake in that death and receive him soon. Okay, now... He's been forgiven. He must feel, you know, great. So now we're told, but the forgiven servant threw a fellow servant into prison over a trivial debt, and the result was he angered the king who had given him compassion, and we'll see what the king does in his anger. So returning back to the words of Jesus, but that servant... Having gone out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, a hundred days worth of pay. And having taken him, he was choking him, saying, thou must pay what thou art owing. Again, this debt was less than four months. He had been forgiven 200 lifetimes or 200,000 years of a debt, and he can't forgive four months? And he's choking his peer over this trivial amount after he had just been loose from slavery and an insurmountable debt. And so having fallen down, his fellow servant was beseeching him, thou must have patience with me and I will pay thee. This fellow servant is now begging him with the very same words he himself had just used on the king, the lord of the realm. Then we're told, but he would not, not be patient. But having gone out, he cast this man into prison until he might pay the debt. Now, it was 20 years ago, roughly, and I've been a Christian for 42 years, that I realized there's a real tragedy here, a real tragedy, Um, and that is that by the end of this parable, this man who was jailed to be tormented over a minuscule amount He's not been loosed. He's still in prison. We are talking about injustice here. Now, that's a hidden little side thing for the parable, but when it occurred to me what had happened, I sure hope the king pardoned him later. Well, then the fellow servants, having seen what had happened, were very sorry, and having come to their lord, They told him all that had happened. So these peers were greatly grieved that the forgiven servant was so unforgiving, unforgiving, and they went to tell the Lord, hoping that he would put this thing right. Like I said, we don't know whether he put it right or not. But then his Lord, having called after him, said, Wicked servant, I forgave thee of all that debt because you begged. Was it not being necessary also for thee to have mercy on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. Well, okay, in this parable the Lord pays pulls no punches, no punches whatsoever, addressing him as wicked. And then he gives them a history lesson. He had received forgiveness of a great debt. You were forgiven, and remember what you were forgiven. The servant's action toward his fellow servant were unmerciful, revealing a tragically flawed character. So Jesus concludes his Lord having become angry, delivered him over to the jailers that he may pay all he was obligated. The forgiven debt is now fully restored. It's come down hard on him. His unforgiveness made his Lord angry and resulted in imprisonment. And the word used for jailer here is rightly translated by the King James to be tormented, tormenting jailers. And again, this parable teaches a point I hope we all have imprinted on our hearts from this day forward. No one can afford unforgiveness. Look at what it cost this man ultimately. And the terms imposed on him, reimposed on him, were impossible. I mean, think about it. Even if he were free to work, he wouldn't get enough to pay the whole debt off. Now that he's being tortured in jail, he's not getting anything. This is a forever sentence on him. So let us learn from this unforgiving servant. Again, no one can afford unforgiveness. So after Jesus finishes telling the parable for once, he explains it and drives it home. Drives it home. He says the heavenly father will severely punish his servants who do not act consistent with his blessed forgiveness of them. So this is pretty negative concerning forgiveness, we'll go to the psalm talking about the positive blessings that this man forfeited in a minute. But first of all, he says, Jesus makes it plain. So also my heavenly father will do to you all, if you all may not forgive your brother from your hearts. Jesus makes it clear that anyone his father has forgiven will be likewise punished for not forgiving his brother. So again, the main point is reinforced by the last verse in Matthew's gospel this morning. No one can afford unforgiveness. So now let's go back to the Psalm 32 and the introduction to Psalm 32. First verse, happily blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, is forgiven, and whose sin is covered. Remember, the blood of Jesus can cover our sins so this very first word, "ashray," or happy blessing, is the basis for the name of Jacob's son, Asher. If you go back to Genesis, and those 12 sons were born from four women, but when Leah's handmaid bore a second son for her, her sixth and last son of her name, she called him Asher. Because here's what she said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. And she named her son Asher Ashrei happy. And what a happy blessing it is, because transgression and sin are forgiven and covered. This is God's greatest blessing in Jesus Christ to all who are following Jesus. God's forgiveness is a blessing. Let us receive it and enjoy it. And then he concludes this introduction. Happily blessed is the man Yahweh will not reckon to him iniquity, and there is no deceit in his spirit. So we've got two things going on here. It's a blessing When God does not see a man who is bent to do wrong, because that's what iniquity is. It's when we are bent in our soul to do that which is not pleasing to God. And also this man is free from a spirit of deception of others. I think that's enough said for now. But let us end with the incredible blessing. And it's in David's psalm of confession we said earlier. There is sin which is falling short. There is iniquity which is a bent towards sin and wickedness. And there is transgression which is outright rebellion against God. And if we confess these to God and come to him independent. Humble faith and say, Forgive us because of what Jesus did. We will be forgiven. I believe we're now ready to celebrate communion, but let me just wrap it all up here in about 75 words. Jesus gives a process for dealing with a brother who sins, and then he charges his people to bind and loose sinners in his presence. Loose them if they repent, bind them over to Satan if they do not. Then in a response to a question, he says his people should be willing to forgive one person up to 500 times, literally unlimited, and concludes by illustrating that people who have been forgiven an insurmountable debt by the compassionate king can be incapable of forgiving a peer of a trivial debt. But the consequences are disastrous. So let us just remember and live by this truth. No one, no one can afford unforgiveness.